Hi everybody. So recently I've started going live about once a week, usually on Tuesdays in my Facebook group. And I've had people asking me to put those on the podcast. They're just really kind of short little trainings for writers. So that's what I'm going to do. This is me putting my live on the podcast. This is obviously the audio version, but you can watch live or watch the video either on my YouTube account or in the prolific author group on Facebook. You can just search for that. And I also have uh, the link to it in the show notes. And I also go live to YouTube. So anyway, that's what this is. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you are able to learn something from this little training. How's it going? Um, today, I'm going to share with you a tip for crafting epic one-liners to give your audience powerful aha moments. And these are really, really fun to do, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but first of all, how was everyone's week of writing going? Hopefully well. Mine has been a little bit uneven. I've been dealing with some illness at my house, so um, I was supposed to already have sent out a chapter to my group, and that hasn't happened yet. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, all right, so before we get started, um, do you need clarity on your story or your work in progress? Do you want to know that you've included all the things necessary, all the elements to make it a bestseller? Or do you want to write more high quality words faster to help you develop a sustainable writing habit? And, and how about your marketing? Do you like desperately want to market, but you don't know which platforms or which pathways would be best for you? If you need help in any of these areas, or any of these aspects of your business and you've never gotten coaching from me before, go to, uh, let me put the banner up on the screen, hold on. There it is. It's uh, bit.ly forward slash powerhouse 97 and you can book a power hour call with me to get some clarity and work out the kinks um, in your business and move you toward creating a sustainable author business. Because we all want to do that. We all want to live off our royalties, but sometimes we need a little help with that. So. I just wanted to put that up out there. And if you are watching from anywhere other than the Facebook group, make sure to join us there. It is a private group um, called The Prolific Author. You can search it on Facebook or you can just go to this URL, okay? All right, so let's get started on how to craft epic uh, one-liners or epic lines uh, to give your audience huge aha moments. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about Harry Potter for just a minute. I remember exactly where I was when I read the seventh Harry Potter book for the first time. I was in college and I did the thing where I like stayed up really late the night it came out and went to Walmart and stood in line and there's a million people there trying to get it. I like recognized half of them from uh, my church or from, you know, my dorm and everything in college. Um, and I remember staying up late to finish reading the book. And the funny thing was I was like a, you know, quote unquote serious college student and I didn't want it to get in the way of my work and I had lots of homework and I you know, was taking lots of credits. Um, and even though I was super excited about Harry Potter, I was like gonna be totally, you know, um, what's the word, like disciplined about it. And I remember having this whole plan for how I could, I would allow myself to read like three chapters a night um, to, you know, it was gonna take me like however long that would have been, a week or 10 days to get through it, but just so that I wasn't compromising anything else. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> I think I sustained that for a day or two and then I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning and finished it. So probably most people did that. So um, I was in my college apartment that for some reason always smelled like popcorn and I'm like on a twin bed, you know how it is in college with dorms and things and I'm finishing the book and there's a really powerful line at the very end in the 
um, epilogue, um, which I'm sure you all are familiar with and you all remember reading. And I'm going to read it to you real fast here. Oh, it disappeared for me. Hold on. Anyway, um, it's you will recognize it. Anybody who's ever read Harry Potter will recognize it. But I'm going to use it as a, an example of the kind of one-liners that I'm talking about. Okay, so this is when Harry is talking to his son, and he says, um, he says his name, I believe. He says, Albus Severus Potter, you were named for two headmasters of Hogwarts. One of them was a Slytherin, Slytherin, sorry, and he was probably the bravest man I ever knew. So yeah, you just kind of got to imagine me in my uh, college apartment, you know, that smelled funny, and <laughs> um, two o'clock in the morning when most college students are out partying and having a good time, and I'm like sitting on my bed reading this book, bawling my eyes out, right? Because I was that kind of nerdy student. I just was. That's why I write books now. <laughs> okay, but what I want to point out about this line is that the reason that it is so powerful is because it is making the audience think. It is almost the epitome of showing rather than telling. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, Roland could have gone, had more of a casual telly kind of conversation between Harry and his son. He could have gone, you know, when I was your age, I knew this one guy and he was kind of a jerk to me. And you know what I mean? It wouldn't have been anywhere near as powerful if she had done that. What she's doing is she's pulling very almost vague details from the story in order to make the audience make connections in their head. Okay. So let's go through the kinds of things that they had to connect in order to understand this line. First of all, we have the kid's name, right? We have Albus and Severus. We have to know who those two people are. Um, we have to know that they were both headmasters of Hogwarts. One of them was a Slytherin. We have to know which one she's talking about, right? And then the bravest man I ever knew. So we have to know Harry's story for that, for how all of that played out. Now, you may be thinking that's pretty obvious. Well, of course, anybody who's reading the epilogue, we're going to assume has read the entire series. And of course, they understand that. But Again, she didn't just tell us that. She made us make the connections ourselves, okay? So I will explain how exactly to craft this and how exactly she's doing it. But what really got me thinking about this is I actually had a chapter that I sent to my um, critique group some time ago, several weeks ago, maybe several months ago. I don't remember. And I had a line kind of like this. It wasn't nearly this epic. It wasn't at the end of the series or anything like that. But... Um, I had somebody comment on it. And I remember thinking about this line when I was crafting it. And I wasn't thinking about it in terms of, I have to write an epic line and that's why I'm doing it. I was more just kind of toying with it and going, okay, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? And then I kind of managed to bring it together. Um, so let me kind of explain how that one went. Um, I was talking about a character and we were getting his backstory. So this is a character that's very mysterious. And up till now, he'd been very aloof and wouldn't really connect with anybody. And this is the first time we're getting some backstory on his childhood. And someone asks him about his parentage. And he says, no concern there. My mother was a harlot. I spent my childhood roaming around with her and her master, a master who beat her senseless anytime she didn't please him fast enough. I'd nearly reached double digits before realizing the normal state of a woman's face is not bruised and swollen. And it was that last line. I'd nearly reached double digits before realizing the normal state of a woman's face is not bruised and swollen. I had people comment on that and say, wow, that's, that's a line. That's cool, you know, and they liked it. But what I did there is I kind of set up a little bit of a backstory. So, you know, he comes from basically an abusive background 
And sorry, I have something falling down in front of my computer here. There we go. Um, I'm making you make connections there. You have to know that he came from an abusive background. You have to know, um, you know, the backstory that I've set up there in order to really make the connections for what I want you to make. Because what this is, is that this is a window into the character and what they think about that backstory. And I think that's what makes it so powerful. So how do you craft one of these? One thing you want to do is create a mixture of ideas. So you're going to harken back to things that have already happened in the story or that you've already stated and show the conclusions the character has or is drawing about them. So if we look at Harry, if you remember in Harry Potter, it's not that we didn't get emotion over what he found out about Snape and, and his mother and that whole backstory. We saw him having emotions about that, but there was so much going on. There was so much action and, and they were at the last battle and he was he had to go die for Voldemort and all the stuff going on that he couldn't sit down and really step outside himself and have an objective think about how he felt about that, right? It just wouldn't have fit in the story and it would have slowed everything down. And so in this epilogue, which is 20 years later, right? He's had a lot of time to think about this and to reflect on what happened. And so what she does is she makes us make those connections, right? So she doesn't say Albus Dumbledore, um, uh, what is Severus Snape? She doesn't. She doesn't give us all those details. She takes out these little vague, I don't know, almost like pronouns, and makes it so that our brains have to do the work to connect them. And and like I said, maybe it's not that much work because we read the story, but you have to understand the difference there and why that engages readers more. I mean, we always talk about showing rather than telling, and the reason that that's effective is because it engages the reader's mind. Like their brain is actually doing work to read that, but it's a good kind of work because it's like. Instead of telling them, you're, you're guiding them to come up with it on their own. And that's what produces the light bulb moments, right? So you want to create this mixture of ideas and harken back to things that you have already established in the story. And then you're going to show the character drawing conclusions about them. But you're not going to tell us what those conclusions are. You're going to kind of very vaguely mention things and then you know make the audience come to the conclusion with the character. All right. Once again, show, don't tell. You want to use sensory details, specific feelings, emotions, and experiences. Okay. So with Harry, it's just that line. He was the bravest man I ever knew. That tells us exactly how Harry feels about it now. And that's powerful. And the example from my own writing, um, we already knew he came from an abused background, but to say, I was nearly into double digits before I realized the normal state of a woman's face is not bruised and black. I mean, that tells us, that gives us a window into him as a child and what it is that he was thinking about it at the time. And that tells us a lot about his character and where he comes from and maybe why he has a hard time trusting and connecting with people. Be nonspecific, as I said, so that you're kind of forcing the audience to make the connections. I've kind of gone through some of these. Give us a window into the character's thoughts and feelings. Make it visceral. Now. Part of making it visceral is to use those specific emotions and sensory details, but the more visceral, the more raw, the more emotional you can make it, the better. Don't, don't skimp on that. Don't be afraid of that. Um, throw in metaphors, euphemisms, allegories. You don't have to do that, but um, especially if you're trying to get them to get your audience to make the connections, that would be one way to do it. Okay, when do you want to do this? Here's the thing. Remember when I said this is work for their brain? It is. If you were to do this with every single line in your book, well, first of all, that would be so much work on your part. Don't do that. But you're going to give your audience a headache, okay? 
this really does make their brains work harder. It's almost like um, reading Cormac McCarthy and I love Cormac McCarthy, but reading his stuff is work. So do not do this with every line. You're gonna totally stress your audience out. You wanna use this when you're doing big revelations, when the characters are at a crossroads, maybe trying to make a decision, turning points, aha moments. Um, I'm trying to think for different genres. For for romance, it's probably going to be that moment when they realize they're in love, or you know, I'm thinking um, Elizabeth Bennet when she realizes what her prejudice was and how wrong she was. I mean, big moments, big turning points in the story. That's when you want to use these. All right, so. Um, I totally just lost my train of thought. Um, so these are these are just really fun to do. I, I guess that's really my point here is they're really fun to do. I love writing these. I love thinking about these. And they really do create a lot of connection between your reader and your story. I mean, if the character is having a light bulb moment, the reader will too. And that's going to connect them to the story. And it's going to it's going to make the story really powerful for them. I mean, think about that Harry Potter line. That was like the most amazing line ever, right? Um, so you can do this for yours too. I, I would just challenge you to um, look at your work in progress, whatever you're working on, and, and try to come up with places that you could use these one-liners and try to craft them. Just start noodling around with the words and you know workshop them in your critique groups or other authors or however, um, whoever you do that with. But I really think they can improve your writing. They are not by any means necessary, but they're fun. And it really does take a little bit of a higher skill of writing to do these than you know, bottom level. So if you can do this and you can create the aha moment for your audience, they're going to respect you that much more as an author. All right. So that is my tip for you today. Um, does anybody have any questions? I have not seen any come in. Let me check. No, I don't see any. Okay. Um, I, I keep forgetting to do Q and A's when I'm done. So I will try to remember to do that. And I get questions via email and I did not prepare any today, but I will make sure and check that for next week. And if you have questions you want me to answer in the lives, please feel free to email me or DM me and I will get those for you. Um, before we leave, also make sure that you have gotten uh, the freebies I offer, such as the ultimate villainy checklist, which is just a free a guide to how to create an awesome villain. All right. So everybody have fun crafting your epic one-liners and helping your audience have aha moments and have a wonderful week of writing. And I will see you soon. Bye. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.